Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. We're in the beautiful Spurgeon Library in the recording studio. I am here jamming on the one with Ronnie Kurtz, colleague, friend, pastor. Did you get the jamming on the one reference, Ronnie? No, at all? I didn't. I was okay. lost on you. Sorry, dang millennials, <laughs> jamming on the one. It's from the it's from the Cosby Show when Theo went into Stevie Wonder's studio. And that's what he said. It was the most ludicrous thing. Uh, he put the little headphones on, and Stevie Wonder was recording him, and Theo Huxtable was saying, jamming on the one. Jamming on the one, which I don't even know what that means. And then Stevie Wonder, like, sampled it, and it was like, jamming on the one. Yeah, so anyway. I was wondering how I could get you to sing on the For the Church podcast, and it's already happened. So as a Gen Xer, that's just burned in my brain, Theo and Stevie Wonder's. Uh, studio saying jamming on the one. So all the Gen Xers totally understood what that meant. Yeah. Everybody watched the Cosby show. But uh, <laughs> anyway, hey, it's good to have you. Um, man, you're killing it on For the Church. It's been, hey, thanks, by the time man. people hear this, it'll be probably three months or so um, since you've taken over the managing editor reins. Uh, it's doing really well. If you don't read the For the Church website, you really need to go read the For the Church website. Subscribe, Amen. follow on social media. Um, man, you're doing a great job. Thanks, brother. I mean, I, I, from your end, you feel like things are going well. You're really enjoying it, or yeah, you're like, I really. What did you saddle me with? Is that what you're thinking? <laughs> no, man, you did a wonderful job over these last uh, what five years. For the church is going to turn five this year. That's crazy. April twenty second okay. is going to be our five year. Um, so next year, next mean? year. Sorry, yeah, sure. April twenty second, twenty twenty will be five years. Of awesome. Uh, so we're looking to celebrate there, and man, it's just been wonderful. It's been a treat to uh, get to head this thing up and. I get to be around good writers and great content, which yeah. I, I couldn't ask for anything more than that. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. And one of the hopes that we've had for the For the Church website and for this podcast is really encouraging and equipping pastors and mature lay leaders, um, Christians who care about the church. I mean, it's called For the Church. That's what we're all about. And so one of the concerns for a lot of pastors is addressing uh, the culture of their church. They have the right theology, the right tools, or at least they think they do, uh, but they're just thinking of like, man, this is the DNA of the place or the, the, the personality of the place. How do I approach that? And that's actually the topic of conversation for today's episode. Uh, this actually came as a question from an FTC mailbag um, query where I just put out, if yeah. you've got questions or topics you'd like mm-hmm. us to address on a mailbag episode. Um, but this question in particular I thought would be good for a standalone episode. Um, essentially, how do we change the culture of our church? And it's really a twofold question, so I've kind of divided it up into a couple of different topics here, angles for us to approach. And the first one is this, how would one even evaluate the culture of his church? Um, Whether you're a church member or a pastor, right? So you're just thinking, um, how do you objectively, in fact, that's what this fellow on, on Facebook was asking, first of all, how does one objectively evaluate the culture of his church? What would you say to that? Yeah, I think this is a good question, and uh, being a pastor, I feel like I more often get told how not to evaluate it. So don't judge your church by its numbers. Yeah. Don't judge your church by how many events you have going on. Don't judge your church by how many baptisms you have. And those are all really helpful words to hear because um, just being a, a sinful man, I'm prone to calculate my own successes and try to count my riches in, in ways that aren't helpful. However— there are ways we can evaluate the health of our church. And while this might not be blatantly objective or on the surface totally you know, quantifiable, I do think um, one of the ways that we are 
aiding our people and in, in, in assessing our church is basically how much in their given context, our people, and, you know, in their jobs and their families and their homes, how much does their treasuring Jesus manifest itself um, in their daily lives? And so basically what I'm, what I'm hoping to see in my people is that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ comes to bear all of the time for them, that they, they have that as a filter, uh, you know, that they have that as a filter on where their kids go to school and what they do for a living and what neighbors they have and what they partake in. Is They're, they're thinking through the, the ministry of reconciliation, which, which is given to them in 1 Corinthians uh, 5. They're, they're thinking through that. Okay, if I'm an ambassador of reconciliation, how do I make the death, resurrection, or the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus come to bear in this sphere of my life? And if I can see my members actively doing that, actively thinking about that, actively posturing their lives to where that, that's at the forefront of their mind, that, that's typically how I'm going to judge success and how I'm going to judge the maturity of a disciple. And so when I'm thinking through whether or not to give a brother or sister responsibility, that's the lens that I'm thinking through yeah. is do, does the ministry of reconciliation show within their life? Uh, obviously, the fruits of the Spirit are helpful there. And uh, but, but that's that's a that's a subjective way to kind yeah. of assess. Yeah, and I, and I think the, the subjective assessment of the culture of your church really depends on one's pastoral sensibilities and the level of uh, embeddedness that you experience in, in your church. Objectively, I I don't know. Like this isn't really an objective thing. I think there are metrics that are tell us more than others. Whether that's an objective way to evaluate the culture of your church or not, um, I don't know. But in in my book, The Gospel-Driven Church, I talk about really the difference between just raw counting, how many people are here, how much money is given, yeah. um, how many people participate in that. But going a little deeper to look at things um, that are still objective and, and practical but, but tell you a bit more, which could be sort of like um, – you know, giving per member, right? So if you're doing the averages, now you know, you know, um, what, you know, by average, what each member is is generally giving. Um, that tells you a little bit more than just the raw amount of money that came in. So now you know, are people giving to the church or not? Or um, participation beyond the Sunday gathering, how many of our members or how many of our attendees on Sunday morning participate in community groups or these different, you know, missional endeavors, that sort of thing. That tells you a little bit more about the culture of your church. Are we just a Sunday morning, um, you know, attendance church, or are we actually involved um, beyond that? I think looking at your membership role, um, especially for older churches and, you know, churches that have been around, um, you know, traditionally for a while, uh, might be able to say, like, is our membership far greater than our attendance. Hmm. That tells you something about the culture of the church mm-hmm. um, as well. And that's something that really leaders ought to, you know, you know, take a look at. Uh, are their members unaccounted for? Well, that tells you something about the leadership culture yeah, that's right. of, of the church and what is valued. So those are all objective things. They tell you something a little bit deeper than um, how people are coming. But I think subjectively you start looking at things like um, maybe demographics, so if you're drawing from your immediate community, what's the culture of your community like? That will somewhat inform the culture of your church. One question that I ask pastors um, in my ministry cohort um, is, what are the idols of, of your church? What have you discerned? Like, what are the particular things that tempt your people 
for their worship that rivals Jesus. And um, there's some that are very common, but there's some that are specific to different areas of the country, different demographics, that sort of thing. Um, It could be youth sports, could be money and career, it could be, you know, whatever it is. Um, That tells you something about the culture of your church. It's a subjective thing, but you're able to see, okay, what are the idols that I'm going to need? And that helps you in your preaching. You kind of know how to, um, you know, apply the gospel. I think you look at the tenor of your congregation, look at the relative missional interest in Mm -hmm. the congregation. I hear from pastors all the time, it's like, how do I turn the corner? My people, they're faithful attenders and they're faithful givers, but they're not faithful goers. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how to turn that corner there. Um, So those are just like some subjective things. But one caution I think that I would give pastors thinking about this, because you're in the best position um, to make these determinations, but... If your experience is limited to a certain group of leaders or even just a certain subsection of members, uh, don't assume just by your experience with them that that's the culture of the church. So sometimes it takes a while. So like if you've only been at a church a year or two, you may not actually know, um, you know some things, but you may not know the culture of your church quite yet. Um, You may be making some deductions based on what others have told you, based on your limited experience with certain leaders or um, certain motivated members, perhaps, um, but you may not know quite yet what the culture of your church is, and you will. I mean, if you're a faithful pastor, you you will. That's right. Um, but you you know, if you're new, I wouldn't assume, right? Just because you go into a church in in the rural South, don't just assume there's you know a right wing political idolatry or something like that. Um, you know, some of those things can be uh, false assumptions, judging of motives. Um, you, you really kind of need to live among the people and, mm-hmm. and, and counsel them and disciple them to kind of tease out some of these issues, idols and, and uh, missional interest and, and all those sorts of things. Um, Ronnie, what would you say? So if someone is uh, evaluating the culture of their church. Uh, what are some ways that can go wrong? Mm, yeah, I, I think <laughs> that there's a lot of ways it can go wrong. And I think that typically it's an overemphasis on – an aspect of their evaluation. So, for instance, you know, they, they, they evaluate the culture of the church and they say, you know what, we just don't have enough baptisms. And what they end up doing is w- what we need is baptisms. And so whatever, whatever means we need to, to participate in to get more baptisms, that's, that's what we need to change the culture of our church. Or, you know, what we need is more um, – outside of Sunday participation amongst the members. And so let's let's devalue Sunday participation, mm-hmm. Sunday attendance, and and play up outside of Sunday participation. And I think what ends up happening is we get over uh, fixated on a particular number and we we kind of lose the general sense of the mission and purpose of the church. And so that, that's why I think that some of the more subjective ways can be helpful even if it's hard to quantify them. And I think you're exactly right, Jared, to say the only way you're going to be able to be successful in subjectively judging the culture of your church is being with your church. Yeah. If you're not with the sheep, you won't be able to intuitively see what they're seeing or judge the, the culture that they're participating yeah. in. And so just being with the sheep and and being able to actually account for their nuances and their actual stories – uh, because we're, we're not pastoring a people in general. We're pastoring our people with right. names and stories and, 
and problems. And so we have to we have to know the sheep to be able to judge subjectively. Yeah. I, I think we need to be cautious, too, about letting our evaluation of the culture of our church, so to speak, um, fuel sort of a grievance against them or a constant state of disillusionment or disappointment with them. Um, yeah, that's good. You know, uh, you know, poor pastoring is driven by disappointment in, in your people. And that's not to say your people aren't disappointing. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people have churches that are disappointing. Um, and yet— w- w- one of the greatest words that I that I have read on, um, you know, pastoral ministry, and it, it came from probably the most influential book to me outside the scriptures, uh, it's especially in terms of church, was Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Life Together. And we yeah. talked about this in the reading episode. Um, but, you know, Bonhoeffer cautions um, church leaders against always sort of taking the spiritual temperature of their church. He says that mm. very quickly you end up becoming the church's accuser. And and I see this constantly, and I saw it in myself. Essentially, if you're always dwelling on what needs to change, then you're all you're never loving the people that you have yeah. because you're always comparing them to what they're not and what you don't have. And no one can measure up to that. Um, I would also just say to you, Pastor, your people are thinking the same way about you. <laughs> <laughs> they're measuring you against the pastor they want or the pastor they want you to be, and that doesn't feel great, yeah. you know. And and so there are people who are disappointed in you for, for no discernible reason that you can figure out. And it's because you haven't met certain expectations, and that's what they dwell on. Well, the same thing can happen with us as we look at at our churches. Are there things that need to change? Absolutely. Um, are you know is there repentance to be had? Absolutely. We want to be leading our church somewhere. We want our church to be growing uh, spiritually, um, if not or as much as numerically. Um, but we need to be careful that as we look at, I like, mean, I got to change this church. Or I got to change the culture of the church. Or this church isn't enough. This or this church is too much. That. That when you're dwelling on those things, you're not loving people because you're essentially keeping a record of wrongs and you're, and you're dwelling on how they disappoint you or don't measure up to the standard that you have. So you know, don't let evaluating the culture or thinking through change of the culture get in the way of loving who you've got because that will come across eventually. They'll start to see, oh, yeah. he's really disappointed in us or we're never quite enough for him. Mm. Um, yeah, don't pastor from a place of disappointment or, or disgruntlement with your church. Um, okay, we're going to come back in a moment um, and talk about how you would begin to shape or change or redirect a culture of a church. But first, let's take a coffee break and hear a word from our hosts at Midwestern Seminary. Midwestern Seminary's 81-hour Master of Divinity degree prepares you for ministry today and tomorrow. Midwestern Seminary's flagship degree program is our primary track for ministry preparation. Requiring only 81 credit hours, the MDiv program is an efficient option for students equipping them to serve the church in pastoral ministry. Residential students will be trained in a unique community environment passionately focused on the local church. Online students can earn the full degree without leaving their current ministry context. Come be a part of one of the fastest growing seminaries in North America as we develop a new culture of discipleship devoted to the local church and committed to taking God's unchanging word into a rapidly changing world. Visit mbts.edu slash mdiv today. Okay, we're back. We're talking about changing the culture, evaluating, and perhaps changing the culture of your church. This is a, really a sort of a two-part question that came from a fellow on Facebook um, wanting to know, first of all, how do you evaluate the culture of your church? And then if you've determined that the culture of the church needs to change, how do you do that? How do you effectively shape, change, redirect culture? And our friend on Facebook says, either as an elder or as a congregant. So I think we can take you know both pieces mm. there. 
Um, so if you're a pastor, Ronnie, and you're thinking this church, you know, we've got to change the culture of the church, That how would you begin to even yeah. think through that? Yeah, I think there's kind of narratival ways that are going to be big picture and actual practical ways on the ground. And I think what needs to be said kind of before everything is your your theology and your ecclesiology is going to kind of set the course of this whole thing. And so if you have poor ecclesiology, well, then you, you probably already have roadblocks that you have to get around to make changes. And so, so I think typically for a church wanting to make a cultural change, theology kind of sets the boundaries. Theology kind of sets the course of where the thing's going to go. And then I think the pulpit is, is largely the steering wheel. Uh, in my experience, when I want to affect change in the church, it happens best from the pulpit. And I know uh, there's a lot of listeners who might disagree with that, but the, the pulpit has authority, and rightly so. And when we're standing behind the pulpit and we are aiming to lead out in vision and mission of our church, that's where it's taken most seriously. So I think that the two locations where change happens best is one in the pulpit and two in the members' meeting. Mm-hmm. I think those are the – especially if you have your ecclesiology kind of kind of ironed out, those two places seem to be the best place to lead out change and vision and discipleship and what have you. Uh, and then just spending time with the sheep again, how, helping them own the vision, helping them yeah. own the change. If it feels like a change that you want to make that you're forcing on top of the people, well, then we probably should expect people to buck against it. But if it's something that they own, that they, they see the reasons, not just that what's being changed but why it's being changed, if they get the vision behind it, typically I've found people – uh, become allies instead of those who need to be changed. They become the allies of change, and and that's been very beneficial for me. Yeah, um, I think along with you, um, preaching is the primary point, and evangelicals implicitly believe this. Um, we all do preaching differently. The dominant mode of preaching or teaching probably isn't the mode that you know we would think would be best for a church, and yet. Almost every evangelical church in the West has a teaching time on their Sunday morning. Now, why do they do that? It has to be because, at least implicitly, they may not have a good theology of preaching or they haven't really thought through what that feature of their service is about in terms of its biblical connections. But we all do that because we are somehow agreeing this changes people. That's right. Or this has an impact. Even if you just think, I'm just giving people more data points or information to live a successful life. Uh, or you're thinking this is how people encounter the risen Christ is through the proclaimed word and the gospel changes hearts, which is you know kind of what we would think. But <laughs> either way, the reason you have a 20 to minute to 45 minute or whatever it is, you have that time in your service because you believe it, it impacts things, or you wouldn't do it. That's right. If, if you don't think it has any you know makes any difference, you wouldn't do it. So we all agree, at least implicitly, that this has an impact, and it does. Um, and you know, obviously, the way it's done. Uh, you know what? How much weight you're putting on the Word of God versus your own Word? All of that will, can influence how much weight it carries. But don't underthink or um, underestimate the impact of pulpit preaching. It may not. You know, one sermon usually doesn't make a difference in um, in a whole congregation's life. One sermon can make a difference in one person's life. Mm-hmm. Um, but to shape a congregation, it really just is over time. You're kind of setting. You're changing the DNA. Is what we're talking about. So remember, wherever your church is culturally, if you've determined it's deficient culturally and it needs to change, 
it didn't get there overnight. Yeah. It took a long time to get there to wherever there is. So it's not going to overnight you're going to get out of this. And it may be at least as, as long as it took to get there to get out of it. I, I don't know. It depends on the situation. depends on the church. Usually church size, church demographics, all those probably play um, some role in this. Typically, I think general rules of thumb is that older churches, both institutionally and demographically, change more slowly than younger churches institutionally and demographically. They tend to adapt to change better. There are exceptions and there, you know, there's anomalies, but that's a general rule of thumb. The older your church is in terms of generation, the, the people in it are older, and the older your church is institutionally, the harder it will have time adapting to change. So you have to move more slowly and have a lot more patience. But whether your church is young and new or not, you need to have patience in, in this. Remember, they didn't get there overnight, so they're not going to change overnight. That's right. And I, I found even that what's helpful for me is, that, that part of the process is discipleship, and and actually the process is discipleship. And so I, I think that, you know, if, if even if we could snap our fingers and make a change overnight, we would actually lose some of the benefit because mm-hmm. some of the benefit is helping the people see why this vision is better yes. than where they've been. Yeah. And when they start to get a taste of that, a taste of a more, for instance, let's just say it's, it's gospel-centeredness. You know, you want to move towards gospel-centeredness. And that wasn't there. Well, when they get a taste of that, a a ministry where Jesus and his victory over sin and shame is proclaimed, you know, with boldness, when they get a taste of that, they're going to want more. And that process becomes really beautiful. And as cliche it may, as it may sound, uh, it's not always about where we end up, but but the, the journey along the way really is important. And we should probably make a motivational poster out of that or something. <laughs> That would be good. That's a, that's a lot of words for a motivational yeah. poster. I, I like really yeah. in-depth Would the <laughs> Would the stock photo be like a pastor at his desk with his head in his hands? Yes, definitely. Know? Yeah, or just a, a few open Bibles. There you go. In a, a, few in a field with no what one else the, around. What does the message say? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I, yeah, I think you're on, on the right track there. And w- w- one thing that I remind pastors of is, you know, it didn't um, – don't be frustrated with people for not being where you weren't a year ago or, yeah, or or what have you. What did it take for you to come to the conviction of this change? So just for instance, gospel centrality. And so, you know, some pastors, um, they weren't, you know, we, we weren't brought up in, in the gospel-centered paradigm. And we came to it somehow, but it probably wasn't from somebody nagging us into it or pressuring exactly. us into it. It was by God's providence, yes, but we heard a conference talk or a podcast or somebody lent us a book or we came across a blog post, and it was like, oh, this is different. This is new. And it was somewhat of an organic, if we can say that. No, I mean, nothing is accidental or coincidental. Um, but it, it didn't happen from somebody saying, you need to be gospel-centered. Like, that's just not how gospel centrality works. That's right. So it's not going to work for your congregation that way either. You have to disciple them through you don't just want behavior, you know, conformity, or, or maybe you do. I mean, you want behavior conformity, but you want belief conformity. Yes, and that's not something that happens at the snap of a finger, or from one sermon, or one lesson, or let me bring someone in to, you know, do a conference for us. Um, I, I'm not picking on anybody uh, who's invited me to speak, but sometimes that's kind of like there's a lot of pressure. People come in, it's like I'm, I'm want my church to be more gospel centered. Will you come in and do this, you know, <laughs> conference and these like you know three sessions? And then a month later, it's like, man, my people are just not. And I was like, well, you actually thought the conference was going to do it <laughs> yeah. for everybody. Like, Jared, if you could step your game up. <laughs> I wish I could was a silver bullet. Uh, you know, uh, but it just doesn't work that way. But those are little pieces. It doesn't yeah. mean 
you know, you know, please still in, in invite me to do conferences. Uh, but, you know, th these are all like resources along the way of helping to shape the congregation. Um, so just be patient and play the long game in getting there. So, okay, let's talk about from the congregants um, perspective. And there's a lot of variables here. But so you're not the pastor. You're not an elder in the church. Um, you're not a leader per se. Perhaps you're uh, a lay leader of some kind. Um, but you know the, the culture of the church has to change. What can you do? What do you do if you're, quote-unquote, just a member? Yeah, well, I have a, a pretty high view of membership, and so I think that uh, there's a lot that can be done by members. And similar to some of the advice we've given towards the, the pastors, uh, members, you have to realize that this is a long game. And it may even be a longer game to invoke change from the congregation perspective than it is the pastoral perspective. Uh, because there's, <clears throat> for right or wrong, uh, there is an appearance of less authority there and less ability to invoke change. And so I, I would just say a, a few very practical pieces of advice for a congregant who's wanting to bring about change in the culture of their church is, one, love your pastor. Uh, your pastor is not going to bend the culture of a church towards the opinion of someone he feels is hostile towards him. Right. And if you're not faithfully serving, faithfully loving your pastor, this is going to be a very hard and maybe even impossible battle to win. And so love your pastor, love fellow members, um, and not in a way that's just trying to win them to your side. But be, be a faithful covenant member uh, so that people see you as someone to follow. And if, if, you're, if the life of a leader isn't there, then they're not going to see you as a leader. And so be faithful in that regard. And then the last thing I would say is go through the proper channels, right? If you're a member at a, a, a church that's elder-ruled elder versus a member of a church that has congregational polity, this is going to look different. Yeah. And, and you should um, be faithful to the, the guidelines, the polity, the ecclesial structure that your church has in trying to bring about change. Yeah. I think the first thing I would say is, to be what it is that you want to see, and I don't know that maybe the motivational poster Man, speaking. Man, we each got one. Be the, <laughs> be the change you want to see in your church. I guess I don't know if that's the cliche, uh, but I guess it's cliched for a, a reason, which is yeah. So the person who's always grieved about how everyone else needs to get their act together typically is not a great change agent in, in a church, even if the thing you want to see change is good, right? So let's, I mean, right. we're assuming what you want to see is good. You want to see gospel centrality or whatever it is. Being the person who's constantly aggrieved does not commend that view, but being a gospel-centered church member Amen. could be. And again, having the long game in, in mind, particularly if you're not in a position to either uh, make leadership decisions or directly influence le leadership decisions, you're just not in the position to do that. This is even true for like secondary uh, ministry roles, Some, you know, associate pastors or youth pastors. Sometimes I hear from those guys like, how do I get my pastor to – yeah. Such and such. Like, well, you're not in that role. So, you know, you have some level of influence, whatever it is, but he's going to have to come to this conviction on his own. It's likely not going to be because the youth pastor is constantly recommending certain books to him or whatever it is. Like, you pick up on that really quickly. Yeah. And just think about it if you were in their shoes. So if you were the gospel center pastor and you had an attractional youth guy who was like, no, we really need to do this, that, and the other thing, would you be inclined or would you just feel like this guy's nagging you? And no, he's not there to set the vision or to set the tone. You are. So as as a congregant, you really need to sort through, like, your principles in terms of, is this a deal breaker for me? Like, this is heresy. 
um, or you know how dire is the change? And if you're not in a position to affect change, you may have to leave the church if it's like a, a principal, you know, heretical issue. If it's simply a matter of I wish the preaching was more like this or then really being a faithful church member is your greatest recourse. Mm-hmm. Be an encourager to your pastor um, and, and to the other leaders. Then they're more inclined to the things that you might bring up that would be, quote, unquote, more critical or evaluative. But don't begin that way. I'd also say that if you're bringing people to your point of view, even if your point of view is good, again, gospel centrality or something like that, if you're bringing people along to your point of view, you're actually subverting your desire for gospel centrality if you're just stewing on your grievances. You've now got a group of gospel-centered, quote-unquote gospel-centered people, and they just don't like the, you know, what the pastor's doing, and, then, and you're constantly stewing over that and brewing over that. And mm. what you're doing is actually uh, disrespectful. It's uh, insubordinate in, in some sense. You're, you're actually stewing the opposite or you're stu- you know, um, creating the opposite of gospel centrality right. just by your very demeanor mm-hmm. um, about it. So to be gospel-centered is not simply to uh, adopt a certain paradigm of teaching and preaching. To be gospel-centered is actually to be a gracious person who trusts that the gospel is the power to change. And so that means being patient with pastors who aren't quite there yet. Um, so if you can remain in the church, do so, but be a faithful church member and gossip good about mm. about your leaders and about those around you. Um, okay, I think we've probably talked through um, as much as we can without you know specifics and, and speaking direct pastors. So uh, I'm going to close on on this note. This comes from Hebrews chapter 13, um, somewhat of a lengthy passage, but still I think very pertinent. Uh, to the discussion, particularly of congregation members, to members of a church who would like their church to change. Uh, Think through these words and um, hear this word from the Lord. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. That was the word of the Lord. I hope it was a precious word to you. Hopefully you can apply it in your situation, in your circumstance. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. I hope it's been a blessing to you. As always, if you enjoy what you hear, please share us with your friends. Give us a good review on iTunes. Every little bit helps. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, managing editor of For the Church, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.